Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. When you are curious, how do you chase new ideas? In today's conversation, Pat Chung shares how he uses the concept of side quests to bring cohesiveness to his pursuits as a tinkerer, designer, startup founder, author, and podcaster. It's important to note that Pat really loves podcasts. Not only is his own podcast about podcasts, Podcast Growth Hacks, but his company Pod Inbox serves the needs of podcasters. In our conversation, we dive into many topics in and around the world of podcasts, including why he started listening to them, what led him to create his own, the psychology of fans supporting creative projects, and PodConf, the upcoming podcasting conference in Portland, Oregon. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 665. Well, Pat, welcome to Getting Work to Work. Right when you're taking a sip, right when you're taking a drink, I'm going to dive right in <laughs> asking questions. Please pause and enjoy your sip of coffee. <laughs> Is it okay to do this periodically? Totally. I do. I do edit. And so it'll be a seamless conversation okay. even when I flub up because I'm the one that generally messes up the most. <laughs> well, you haven't talked to me yet. wow you're already making me feel better that's (laughs) well as a self-described tinkerer which i love that title by the way what's uh filling your curiosity tank today uh what's filling it today is uh what i call side quests (laughs) kind of like legend of zelda yeah exactly um so I, you know, I'm a I'm a startup founder. Um, uh, my company is called Pod Inbox, but you know, as often with founders, we have a lot of different interests, and a lot of times these are distractions, and in our world they're called side quests, <laughs> and they're often sort of not not looked highly upon because you know we're always kind of t- taught to focus and all that. Uh, but you know, this side quest is kind of kind of a uh, complimentary to what, what we do at pod inbox uh and it's PodFest. Very cool. um that's that's my current side quest yeah there's a podcast conference in portland and and you called it PodFest. oh i'm sorry did i say that it's called PodConf. okay I, i'm like what some reason. the name <laughs> <laughs> no that's the big conference uh out in florida okay yeah we're, we're gonna be a smaller intimate conference yes that's cool I love the the idea of side quests because as immediately I just go to Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, where <laughs> you have the main theme of the game, but then you have all of these side quests that allow you to level up. And, and that's what I think of when you say side quests. I don't think of distraction. I think of ways to get better at mm. what you're doing. No, you're totally right. And um, I mean, I guess I use the word side quest because sometimes my curiosities do take me to a whole different industry. And it's kind of how I'm wired and I kind of have to be careful about that. But you're right. Um, Recently, I did a redesign of my own personal website. And um, I just noticed it was all over the place. It looked like I was a guy who was all over the place. And I'm like, I've been doing so much in the world of podcasting in this last two years that I'm like, I, sh- I need to pull it all together to even make my side quests 
look consistent with what I'm mainly doing now, which is working on Pod Inbox. So yeah, I finally did that. And yeah, you're right. I think it's less of a side quest now. And it's uh, definitely a leveling up of sort of who I am in the podcast industry, I guess. That's great. It's it's so challenging when you do so many different things because mm-hmm. I mean it is it, the danger is coming across as you have no focal point. Mm-hmm. But what I love about what you just said is is being able to bring that kind of cohesiveness to what you're doing and at the same time still make room for <laughs> that side <laughs> quest that you're not expecting. Yeah. No, totally. And it's funny because like in the startup world, the the you know, people are so sort of adamantly against side quests, but I think they're so important to the creative spirit. And as sort of like a creative founder, you know, my creativity could bring me a ton of places. And like I, you know, I think I at some point I just told myself it's like I can't ignore this idea of pursuing these other things because it's kind of what gives feel to me as a person. So, you know, I think, you know, the way I justify leaning into it is, you know, it, I think it's additive. <laughs> if I, you know, if I do choose the right side quest, if I choose a totally different one, then it might not be additive and it could be a distraction. But I think, um, yeah, reframing it in a way, because, um, uh, yeah, a lot of times they're called side projects. And like you said, I like that Le- Legend of Zelda thing. I might have to uh, steal that from you. There's still a main game I'm playing. And it's just like a, it's like a little offshoot game, but it's still part of the main game. I'm not like taking out the cartridge and putting in something else. (laughs) But even that metaphor, sometimes when you sit down to play, you don't have, you know, an hour or two to commit to, you know, continuing that main (laughs) storyline. Maybe you've got 10 minutes. And so you just play a side quest because that's all you have time for. Yeah. Except this story. Yeah. This side quest is. Yeah, a lot more time consuming than I thought. I uh, this is kind of like my first time. I've you know done big events before, big ish, but this is like my first like real conference. Um, so wow, surprisingly, you know, you hear it so many times before. Like, never do a conference; they never make sense. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm kind of. I don't know if I see the truth in it. Like so far, everything's rewarding, but it's a lot of work. I didn't realize how much work it is. Yeah. Well, before we talk about all the the conference and things like that, one of the things that I that I'm kind of intrigued by is that you studied English literature mm. at Berkeley, mm. and and what I love about that is if you remember that time because I don't know how long ago it was, but uh, what's something that you remember learning about the world of English literature that you actually wish more content creators would incorporate into their work? I'll be honest, I was a horrible student. I'll start off there first. And maybe it's more of a life lesson. I'll try to swing back to your question with something uh, thoughtful. But um, it's funny, you know, not not to uh, keep uh, rambling about side quests, but even in college, I think I was a bad student because I had side quests there too. <laughs> I wasn't like totally focused on college, to be totally honest. And um, one year I uh, took a year off to go um, just do a normal job at uh, in Hong Kong because I, I love to travel. And I was just, you know, when I decided to be an English major, I thought, you know, what am I going to do with this major? I, I, I didn't like literature, 
But I'm like, what am I practically going to do with it? So I decided to take some time off and just kind of explore the world a little bit. And when I went into the world, it's it's funny because when you're in college, you think, you know, whatever you're studying is what you're going to do. But I, I realized, you know, maybe 80% of the people ended up doing something completely different than what they studied in college. Yeah. So I don't know. That kind of gave me the freedom to um, think, okay, whatever I study, I could still explore. You know, um, it doesn't, um, f- you know, fr- uh, put me in a box of like these like, three things that English majors normally do. Usually they go into law, they go into teaching, or they write a book or something like that, or they go into publishing or communication. One of the other things I learned that when I did go to Hong Kong to work that year, I realized, you know, Berkeley is kind of a prestigious school here. But when I went there, no one heard about it. It wasn't a very well-known school. In fact, um, you know, whenever I told someone I went to Berkeley, kind of being proud that like, you know, maybe that'll get me some jobs over there, you know, get me a position up. You know, they just kind of shook their head and, you know, they had no, no recognition of the name. So it also, you know, that kind of just also taught me, it's like, you know, you, you're just gonna, you know, whatever you decide to do later, it's maybe school's a little irrelevant <laughs> and what you studied may be irrelevant. So I don't know how inspiring or uninspiring that is, but yeah, that's just kind of the reality that I kind of, one of the truths I learned kind of early. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what powerful truths though, to learn so early because, um, you can get really caught up in that identity piece of where you go to school, what you study, um, who you're connected to and, and learning that so young had to have really informed the journey that you would go down. Yeah. And, um, and maybe, yeah, I don't know if it's a good or a bad lesson to tell you the truth because being a tinkerer and a creative yeah, I kind of took a pretty meandering path, I'd say. <laughs> was that intentional or is that just the way that it unfolded? Um, maybe a little of both. I mean, I was always just driven by curiosity. I think that's why I even took, you know, time off in, in, during college and um pretty much just went wherever I was curious because I think the other truth that I I think I learned early was I guess it's a couple of truths. Like one, I've always sort of uh, admired this idea of a Renaissance man. Uh, I don't even know if that's um, a thing anymore, but I think when I was really young, I think we, you know, we studied it in in elementary school and I was just, I don't know, it just kind of captivated me that like someone well-rounded, someone who did a lot of things as someone to be praised a little bit. I don't know if that's still what I believe now. I mean, I think some of my regrets around, uh, re- regrets revolve around like, oh, I wish I kind of focused a little bit more, but <laughs> I think it's a truth that I kind of glommed onto at an early age and just kind of uh, celebrated that type of uh, mentality. Was there a point where you stopped beating yourself up as being that curious type? Cause I, I can hear the self-talk going on right now. Cause you know, I'm, <laughs> I say, I've said the same thing to myself for so long, but it's like at a certain point, if you don't stop, that story about oh you know like i wish i would have you know if you don't stop that story it's just gonna continue on dragging you down i think yeah that's a good point um i mean maybe saying that i have regrets is a little too um you know little little bit of an exaggeration i think what that curiosity kind of led me to is something i really eventually was passionate about and eventually can focus on because I mean, 
you know, when I, when I was in that phase of just exploring everything, it seemed like forever. But now when I'm looking back, I'm like, oh, that was only maybe, you know, five, six years or whatever. <laughs> it wasn't like eternity. Um, I mean, it felt long at the time, but eventually that kind of brought me into the design in the world of design. Um, I took a ton of odd jobs before that, enjoyed every single one of them, and then really fell in love with uh, eventually design, and which kind of brought me to um, uh, UX design, which brought me to product management, which brought me to being a founder of startups, and uh, yeah, kind of uh, brought me to where I am today, which I'm, I guess I, you could say I'm pretty happy with. Like I hear a lot of people, you know, they don't, they don't love their jobs, they don't love what they do. I, like every day I wake up, I love what I do. At what point does podcast at what point do the blah blah blah, 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 blah. see it like i told you earlier I'm gonna flop it up. No, at me what too. point did you discover your love for podcasts i think it was because of imposter syndrome actually and i'll kind of explain what that means yeah. when i first got into tech and uh even design i had no technical and design background so uh being sort of a tinkerer and a curiosity a curious person you know i i feel like i i kind of just gravitated towards things that just helped me to learn so i read a ton um and that kind of stems from uh imposter syndrome right like really really thinking i don't know anything or i don't know enough about a subject so normally what i do is uh, i'll, I'll just kind of soak up every piece of knowledge from every kind of channel so soak up a lot of books. And at that time, podcasts were a great resource for uh, learning about startups. So yeah. really, my first foray into um, podcasts was, I'd say, probably 12 to 15 years ago when um, a lot of tech people were kind of creating podcasts and um, just kind of tuning into those. So as a listener first. As you're listening, at what point do you say to yourself, I could do that, too? <laughs> not soon enough i wish i would have done it a lot earlier um i would say i first started i guess flirting with the idea of starting a podcast about five years ago uh it was a time when my life was probably the, the most interesting in terms of the things that i was doing and sort of the maybe the level of attention i could have gotten during that time of my life so i thought oh you know, you know, they always kind of say, you know, if you're doing interesting things, you know, talk about it. So yeah. kind of thought, ah, oh, maybe I should start a podcast then. But also then it was just so, so much harder than it is now. So um, once again, I, you know, dove deep into it, um, uh, learn, learn everything about it, but mm -hmm. I didn't do it. I kind of just paused for a long time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, also work was busy. I don't want to make a ton of excuses, but uh you know, starting that startup at that time was really busy. So it was really hard to have any side quests then. So to my shame, um, it's funny. I taught, I teach about podcasting now and I always bring up the story that like, cause I see sort of, um, I guess beginners have the same trepidation where they're like, Oh, I've been thinking about this podcast for over a year. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I still haven't done it. And they feel ashamed. I'm like, well, I actually thought about it for maybe four years before I started it. <laughs> so, and they eventually started it. So like, to, you know, just trying to encourage people, you know, sometimes it just takes time. When, when you're hearing that story from, from someone across the table or on the other side of the zoom screen, and and they say they've been thinking about it for a year. What do you usually do to encourage them to hit record and start their show? 
the advice I normally give is just to put something out there. Because the moment, um, and in fact, I just did a, a podcast launch course. Uh, I just did, did a free one. I'm not trying to make any money off it or anything. I uh, really just want to encourage beginner podcasters. And one of the things I kept on encouraging throughout the class was you create your trailer. Because the moment you put something out there, I don't know, there's just something addictive about putting something out into the universe um, in the form of a podcast. And uh, I think like maybe, you know, 15 people were in the course, not not a ton, but a handful. And maybe f I think five people launched their podcast at the end of five weeks. Wow. And I was surprised of my own reaction that I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, Still <laughs> seeing it. It was almost like seeing it for the first time. And I've seen it many times, uh, obviously now, but but still there's this like sense of amazement that I still get that, wow, someone just pressed record. They recorded themselves. They produced, you know, uh, they did a little post-production editing and they were just able to, you know, distribute it to the world instantly. I don't know. It's still amazing to me. So I always say, you know, hopefully just the act of them doing that uh, versus stalling like I did <laughs> uh, will get them kind of hooked uh, on this thing that we all love. I love that too, because as you were describing this, this world of creation of putting a trailer out or, you know, launching a show, I think of all of the mediums available to content creators, I think podcast still is one of the lower frictioned, uh, mediums. I mean, it blogging is still the lowest friction, of course, mm -hmm. but like podcasting still has a low friction point. Cause I mean, you could technically just use your phone and mm -hmm without too much editing and get it on anchor and you're done yeah it's funny maybe to us podcasters is low friction but yeah i don't know after teaching the course i was like wow there's still a lot of pieces that you have to put together and not to discourage anyone but i think it's actually like an encouraging thing that like you know you know the current stats that they always um i, I guess advertise it's like there's like three million podcasts and when people hear that, they're they're always like, oh, you know, I'm already too late to the game. But uh, rest assured, I think, you know, it's it's still just in the beginning phases because it's still hard enough where if you ask, I don't know, if you have like 30 friends, my guess is maybe just one of them <laughs> might might have a podcast. I think it's more like if you have 100 friends, maybe, maybe one of them will have one. Um, but... You know, it's still very early. Uh, it's still very early in the game, and I think I think it's because it's just scary enough, and it's just hard enough that not everyone is doing it. Maybe everyone has tried it and you know produced a couple episodes, but I think there's still a lot of room in there to to kind of have your voice and have people listen. Yeah, I wonder if 2016 Chris would have made that comment about it being low friction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot has changed. Uh, I don't. Well, it's funny too because my workflow hasn't really changed a whole lot. The only thing that's changed <laughs> is the speed at which I edit. <laughs> yeah, it, it is important though. Like no matter where you're at in the stage of the game, to remember back to before you started. You know just how much maybe inner turmoil was there as you were wanting to record and get this idea out. And I think because um, you can forget that. Yeah, yeah. Even something as, you know, as everyone says, everyone hates their voice. And 
I remember the, fr- I mean, I still hate my voice, but uh, I hated it a lot more the first time I heard it <laughs> uh, on a podcast. Now I'm hating it a little less. <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing about the evolution of voice though, is, is one of the things that I've heard in my own throughout the time that I've been doing it is when I go back to those early episodes, I sounded like a used car salesman <laughs> and it took me probably three years to allow the conversational tone to mm. emerge as opposed to like the sales approach that mm-hmm. for whatever reason I felt like I had to do. Yeah. Um, and so it, it just takes time. Yeah, you're right. I, I'm still doing that. I like, even as I'm like reflecting on this conversation now, I'm like, why am I speaking like this? <laughs> this is not how I normally speak. Let's relax a little bit. So yeah, there's always learning to be done. Yes. Well, speaking of learning, your podcast is called Podcast Growth Hacks. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you decide to create a podcast about podcasts? Um, yeah, I guess it's just like kind of going back to the side quest thing. Um, I needed a podcast because, um, you know, the startup I, I have is in the podcast industry. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, I'd go to a lot of these conferences and they'd be like, you know, what's your podcast? And for a while I said, I, oh, I don't have one. I just, you know, have this tool that podcasters use. <laughs> and I could see like a little bit of cynicism, like, you know, um, just a little bit. Then they'd see the tool and they're like, oh, this is a great tool and all. But um, there's just this little thing where they're like, oh, you should probably have one. They didn't, a lot of people didn't say it. I mean, actually some of my friends told me, but um, and then I just thought, I, I don't know if I have time for that side quest, you know, going back to that side quest conversation. But I thought, you know, what if I just did a podcast about podcasting? You know, that will at least um, let me have conversations with other podcasters, um, learn more about their, uh, yeah, growth hacks. That's what the show is about. And yeah, just another way to kind of um, kind of build thought leadership in the community. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I kind of started. And I thought, you know, that is a good use of time. Uh, even though it's very time consuming, a lot more than I thought. <laughs> well, and I uh, love how candid you were in your most recent episode about, you know, how much time it takes and why you have the show. I think that that was a really important thing, I think, to communicate to the audience. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I was um I was a little hesitant to do that episode too, because I never wanted the show to um I guess, um, market bought my main company. I just, uh, for some reason, I hate it when podcasts do that a little bit when they just sell their own wares. So I've always just wanted it to be a useful resource for other people. And then, you know, if they find it organically, then that'd be great. But, um, yeah, yeah. To your point, I, uh, I released that episode because I was like, wow, I do have to explain a little bit about myself. (laughs) I don't think I had been doing it too much up until then. And, and I, I hear, it's funny because I listen to so many podcasters uh, and, and so many podcasts that they all, a lot of them forget to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of one of the lessons I, I learned um, after being a listener for, for so long that often I wanted to learn about the podcaster. That's one of the reasons why I'm listening to it, not even for their interview guests, not even for their knowledge. I want to learn about that person that I've been listening to for years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, maybe I should just make this more part of the show 
than um, normal. So, and I love that you call it retrospective because that's always like the challenge of what do you call like a solo episode? Mm. Like for me, I call them monologues because for whatever reason that made sense. But like <laughs> retrospective has a nice ring to it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and which is a little different from I loved your mono uh, your solo episodes. They're great. Like you you seem to do it every other one, right? Yes. Yeah, that's that's such a cool cadence. Um, Unless I don't have any guest scheduled, then I get, <laughs> then I get two in that way. <laughs> that's great, um, and I love it because that's just your perspective, what, what you've learned or what you're learning. Yeah, I think yeah, the one of the reasons why I call them retrospective is like like I still don't see myself as a teacher of the podcast growth hacks. That's why I'm kind of just interviewing other people. So I can't even call those solo episodes, even though it's just me talking. It's just me really talking about my own journey. Um, and maybe one day I'll be an expert. <laughs> and then I could actually have a solo episode where I actually talk about the subject. But I, I think going back to what you said earlier about listening to so many podcasts for so long, I mean, you've been a long time listener and that says a lot to i think what you're able to bring to the conversation as opposed to you know if you've only listened to podcasts for a year mm. you're going to have a different input than someone that's listened for 15 years mm. that evolution of time especially when it comes to podcasts i mean the game has changed in 15 years <laughs> yeah yeah it's true it, it's interesting to see how it's evolved but you're right. I think when I first, um, so when we launched Pod Inbox, we we actually launched at a podcast conference, which was sort of my first, just me just saying, you know what, I'm going to jump into the deep end, um, you know, head first. And it was crazy because, you know, you're talking to seasoned podcasters, you're talking to all these people who've been in the industry for a while. And the only thing, you're right, the only thing I could say is like, well, I haven't been podcasting, but I've been a fan for a long time and um, not just like a every once in a while fan. You know, I probably as early as maybe 15 years ago, I, I pretty much replaced music with podcasting. I just loved it, you know, uh, and, and I consumed a lot of audio books, too, and all that. But I just love audio format. And, um, you know, one of my favorite first podcasts I still remember is This Week in Tech. I don't, I don't know if you're that one. Um, is that Leo, Leo Laporte? Yeah, Leo Laporte. Yeah. And he's one of the OGs, uh, the grandfathers of podcasting. And I mean, he, still, it's like when I hear him, you know, he sets the standard for me still. <laughs> like he's like such the playbook of like, wow, that's that's like how to build a network, how, how to, yeah, how, how to do it right. Um, yeah, he's withstood the test of time a little bit, I think. So when you're coming up with this idea for Pod and Box, there's a lot of pain points for podcasters. At what point did you settle on fan pages as kind of that initial point of solving a problem? Yeah. Um, actually that wasn't even the initial idea. Um, our, what we call in the startup world, our M MVP was something a lot simpler. You know, when I researched the industry, well, first I realized, you know, when I decided to even do podcasting, I asked myself, what industry do I really love uh, that I want to sort of investigate and try to understand what pain points are going through? And yeah, podcasting made it on the short list. So when I did research on podcasters, 
you know, one use case, one very little use case came out was that a lot of podcasters were asking their fans to send them audio messages so that they could play it back on the show. And I thought that was so brilliant. And um, because that kind of pays a lot of fan service, right? Which kind of helps build your fan base and kind of create sort of rabid fans that will ultimately kind of share your podcast with their friends. Because like, who's not going to share it if they hear their voice <laughs> on a podcast they listen to week after week, right? So, and I was like, wow, that's such a cool little viral loop, right? You 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 reward your fans, your fans like love you, they tell their you know, 10 friends or whatever. And, you know, hopefully a couple of them subscribe to your show. And um, I was like, that's a cool viral loop. And I'm like, how are people doing this? And some of the favorite, my favorite podcasts I was listening to, they were like, um, just record your audio message and email it to us. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that is so archaic. Is that, is that, is that how people are doing it these days? <laughs> and I did a little research. There, there's a couple of tools out there, but they're, they're not too big. And I thought, you know what, why don't I just make it easier for uh, uh, podcasters to receive audio messages from their fans? So that's how, you know, that's why it's called Pod Inbox. Hmm. Uh, so there was no sort of positioning around fan pages or anything like that. It was just like record, you know, yeah. engage your fans, you know, let them send you audio messages and they could see it publicly, which is different from like something like voicemail where it's very private and all that stuff. So it was a clever tool. Um, but what you see now when you say fan pages is, um, you know, what it took us about a year to get to, uh, that we just kept on, you know, listening to podcasters, look, look, like watching and hearing their pain points. Mm -hmm. And eventually we re realized, wow, there's a lot more than just receiving audio messages that they want their fans to do. Uh, because very early on, we called ourselves a fan engagement platform. So they're like, you know, so people were like, can they engage like this? Can they engage by giving me money? Can they engage by uh, buying stuff? So we thought, oh, okay, let's just start building some of these features. And yeah, slowly there's, you know, it, slowly <laughs> uh, through scope creep, um, <laughs> we have like now like a suite of features and we're like, yeah. well, we can't just call this recording messages anymore. <laughs> Why don't we position this as a fan page? You know, some, somewhere the fans could go to and do all sorts of stuff. So as as you're getting customers for the you know audio messages, how have more and more customers embraced this idea of a suite of features? I think they're sl still slowly embracing it. Um, we're still a very early company. We've been around for about a year and nine months ish. So um, and the features have been rolling out actually pretty quickly to tell you the truth i think we released monetization features probably about you know i guess it's it's probably about six or seven months now so um as with all new things it takes time for users to slowly find it and adopt it because they have to you know set up their stripe account and uh decide to um yeah use some of these features that are around monetization but it's been good i think uh, like a lot of the new users have picked it up quite a bit because that's kind of what they're looking for. They want this suite of things. Um, and some of our users, as they're finding it, they're they're starting to enjoy it. And, um, you know, one of the cool things about our product, not, not to sell it too much, I hate for this to be a commercial or something like that, but it's, you know, you could choose 
whatever features you want. So we do see a lot of uh, podcasters like uh, sort of just kind of picking whatever they want. You know, some want just audio messages and that's fine. And some, some want monetization and they kind of just kind of slowly graduate to eventually um, picking more and more features and setting it live. That's cool. I, I'm intrigued by something because I don't know if it's just because of the creative industries that I'm around often, but there's often a fear of asking for people to support your work monetarily. Mm-hmm. So that that idea of like putting out on your fan page that you know you can give mm-hmm. one, five, ten, twenty dollars. Yeah. How how have you helped podcasters and other creative people to get over themselves and be (laughs) asking for money. Yeah. That's one of the thoughts we come across a lot and we, and luckily I'd say is we do live in the creator economy now. Um, This word has really taken hold. So I guess I'm sort of lucky because it's good timing for us. We didn't have to teach the industry too much around this. And there's been companies before us that have sort of already taught the industry that this is okay. That said, there's still a lot of podcasters who think, you know, I'm going to make money through sponsorships versus asking for donations. And that's where we come in and, you know, we, you know, we kind of go into our spiel about like, a lot of people don't know, but sponsorships, not, not a lot of podcasts have the download numbers to make any substantial money or maybe even a little bit of money mm-hmm. with, uh, with sponsorships. Usually, you know, that's, um, sort of a build out at a CPM basis and it's like $20 a CPM and not a lot of podcasts, you know, even reach 2000 downloads per month for their podcast. So these are the things a lot of people don't know when they first get into it. So that's us, you know, then we're, we're there to educate them that like, if you have a thousand listeners, there's probably a better chance for you to ask for uh, donations and subscriptions than there is for you to make money off um, sponsorships, mm-hmm. which is first teaching them that sponsorships is probably not the first way to go. If you get big, yeah, then yeah, by all means, try it. <laughs> but your first money is probably donations. So we do a little bit of a clever thing um, where you're right. We also kind of sort of battled with this idea, like, what do we call this? Because people don't like the word donation. That feels weird. <laughs> And people don't like the word tip too. So <laughs> to tell you the truth, we didn't know. So we thought, you know, why don't we let them customize whatever word they want to use? <laughs> because yeah, you, you know, I talked to a lot of these podcasters at, at these conferences and, you know, even at our booth, we talked to a lot of them and it's, it's like literally, you know, at one point we decided, you know, let's try to take a survey of like what people think about this. And you're right. There's a lot of people like, I'm never going to ask my, you know, mm-hmm. listeners for money. I'm like, why wouldn't you? Because, you know, um, Substack c- kind of made, you know, asking for, um, you know, newsletter payments. They, they kind of normalize that, right? So, and a lot of these other podcast platforms are starting to normalize the premium feed. And that's something we're going to get into too later this year. These things are becoming normalized. So when you, you know, when we start telling them that, they start getting a little bit more warm to the idea. They're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I do spend like eight hours a week <laughs> producing this weekly podcast. I should be, get paid for it on some level. And then it's our job to try to figure out clever ways for them to ask their uh, fans for support. Yeah. Um, and that's a word we like to use a lot is support. 
and hopefully that's the word you know that is sort of received well by podcasters i think you know as the years go by i think um i think right now we're just at that cusp where everything's normalized becoming normalized but i think there to your point there's still a little work to go <laughs> yeah i love the word support um and when you said substack i i thought of something that that immediately was like a trigger point for me i feel like there needs to be an establishment of like consistency and development before you ask for support like not i i think i've stumbled upon a, a couple substacks that are just like immediately paid accounts <laughs> and you're just like you haven't earned anything in my my inbox yet mm -hmm. for you to then immediately jump to a paid <laughs> subscription but then the other part of me was like but i get it that took balls to turn that <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so like I, I can see both sides of the struggle of just like you got to earn it but and you haven't yet but thank you for actually doing that yeah and you hit on a great point that it's like i think the creators have to really have a good balancing act of where that point is for them um when i first entered uh the industry with this product there's this um phrase in in, in our industry that I just fell in love with. It's called give value, get value. Um, a lot of podcasters talk about it. A lot of companies talk about it. And I, lo I love that phrase because you have to give value first uh, and then get value. I've seen some podcasters make the mistake where they're like um, with this thing called premium podcasts or, or private feeds or whatever you want to call it. They're like, oh, we're just switching to private feed. And now you have to pay to enjoy the show. And that's, you know, in my opinion, you know, not going to work because a lot of people just shut off their normal feed. Yeah. So a good balance is like bonus episodes, right? You know, if you do something special, you know, put that behind a paywall. And if I've been listening to you and if I continue listening to you and you continue producing great content, then I'm going to want to support you. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I, I love this as a fan, like, because there were people I've been listening to so long that I'm like, how do I support you? Like Leo Laporte had this, I don't know if you ever listened to him, but he used to have this, when they were building their studio, you could buy bricks um, <laughs> uh, that that will, you know, they'll, they'll engrave your name on it and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. You know, you did that like, I don't know, 12 years ago or whatever. But you still remember it. Yeah, I still remember it. And um, I was, just, you know, dirt poor at that time. I couldn't support him. I really wanted to, you know, um, I'm like, oh, I want, I want, I want uh, a break on the brick house. And there were other podcasters where I'm like, I just like come out with a book because I at least want to buy your book. I might not even read it, but you've been giving me so much value in my life. I want to, I want a way to give back and I want a way to participate in your life or in your community or whatever. So to me, people, you know, creators, I'll just say creators in general, not just podcasters, they're so afraid to ask for money that they're not giving the fan an opportunity to engage, which I think is somewhat of a crime because um, I think some fans want to, not all, not all, not all your fans, you know, in our research, we found that it's you know, usually about five to 10% of your fans. Yeah. You want to make them happy too. Right. Yeah. So I think that's a very important, important point to take into consideration too, as you think about growing your audience, thinking about, how are you going to continue 
allowing them to contribute to the growth of your show. Um, Cause so often we think that it's all on us, but, mm-hmm. a, but eventually you get to a point where people want to contribute. They want to support, they want to make sure that, you know, if you add a premium feed that you're, you're adding the right stuff. And I just think, I think that relationship is a good one to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be awesome if creators got so bold where they're, you know, where they actually tell the listeners if, if I don't hit certain amounts of, you know, support, <laughs> I might turn off the show. You know, I think that will really get people to really support. That'd be neat. I yeah. don't think we're quite there yet. <laughs> what Wikipedia has been trying for years with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly it. there. Yep, exactly. At what point do you get the idea, Pat, of like, hey, a small intimate conference in Portland would be amazing. I've been, are, are a lot of your listeners in Portland? Can I ask you this? Um, there's a good amount in the Portland metro area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first, um, I only moved here about six years ago and I just fell in love with this town. I feel like it's such a cool space for the right type of industry. And there's two industries that I, uh, that I hold really dear to my heart. It's one is the sort of the bootstrap startup industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, love that industry. I think this is the perfect town to be sort of a capital for for uh, some of these types of founders. And I think creatives like podcasters, I think this is a great hub for them. I mean, I guess I first started thinking about uh, PodConf is, uh, like I said, when I uh, first did Pod Inbox, I jumped, you know, in head first into the deep end about two years ago and I found myself, I just went to every podcast conference. I think I went to about five in a year, all the major ones. And I realized quickly, I was like, there's nothing in the Pacific Northwest. This is like a shame. Like, I think there's a lot of creatives here. Why aren't there any conferences here? Like I find myself like just flying all over the place (laughs) to attend these conferences. And I just got tired of it. And um, I still like those conferences. I support them. I'm still going to probably go because I'm in the industry. But I just always thought, oh, I wish um, there was something here for the podcast here. here. So, um, yeah, I think kind of just putting all the pieces together that, you know, I've always been pretty involved in the community here in Portland. And I love this town. I kind of want to help make it a hub uh, or to make it at least to give a resource if it is going to be a hub for podcasters. And just thought, you know, that'd be great if there's a conference here and me being, you know, a tinkerer, you know, I can't um, just kind of wait for someone else to do it. I just thought, you know, I better, I probably better do this myself. So uh, about seven months ago, you know, I found, you know, the biggest community of podcasters in a meetup group. There's about nine, I guess over 950 podcasters in that meetup group. And then I just asked if I could be a co-organizer. Yeah. Um, and I just started and it, it had been defunct, uh, for a couple of years because of COVID, uh, obviously. Uh, so no one was meeting, uh, they weren't even doing online events. And I thought, you know, why don't I, uh, ask if I could help sort of reboot this community. And luckily they, you know, they, they, they were up for it, the other co-organizers. And I just started organizing the events, just started loving it in that way. And just started loving the people that came, came to the, came out to the events. But, um, you know, I think being a startup guy, I'm like, well, how do we grow this? 
<laughs> no, always thinking about growth because like not a lot of people came out to those events at first. They were just like happy hours and things. And I think people were still a little bit, uh, you know, cautious about COVID. So um, slowly, you know, uh, you know, started thinking how, you know, should we start making these events a little bit more formal? So there's even one coming up with the with the formalized speaker. So we're going to start like speaker series every month. And um, ultimately, always thinking. So one of the co-organizers, Claire, uh, she had been running some of these uh, annual uh, what they call unconferences for a couple of years uh, before pandemic. And uh, so we kind of just put our heads together. It's like, how do we reboot this in such a way where um, it's a little bit more organized and it's a little bit bigger and hopefully it draws a bigger crowd. That's cool. So when is PodConf? PodConf is April 29th on a Saturday and it's an all day event. Nice. And what do you hope that people will learn from this in-person time together as opposed to, you know, Zoom screens and other digital (laughs) malarkey? So learning is, I'm not sure if learning is our primary goal. So when we created this, um, Another piece of context is I volunteered for WDS. I'm not. Have you ever heard of WDS? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, for listeners who don't know. It's called. Uh, it stands for World Domination Summit, and it was uh, started by uh, this prolific author named Chris Gillibo. And um, huge conference in Portland. I think it sells out like within the first couple of days. Um, and they're expensive tickets, and it's a huge crowd, and people flying from all over the world for it. And um, I didn't know they were um, actually uh, holding a conference right right after COVID. And I found out last minute and I was like, oh, you know, I have to catch this one because it's their last one. And, you know, tickets are already sold out and it's already too late. So I emailed them saying, hey, do you need any volunteers? Brilliant. Yeah. So I volunteered to be what they call a concierge yet yet another brilliant you know uh, branding you, you know they're, they're just like everything they do i feel like is just brilliant and one of the brilliant things they they do is they have um sort of like their main values and i'm totally gonna blank out on them but i think it's like uh adventure service and community i think it's like some, something like that one, one of those all those three things because whenever you ask someone it's like what's wds you know whenever i ask someone at, at when i uh volunteered at the event everyone knew it off the top of their head that these are the core values it's you know i don't know if it's because they were making up for like a really bad you know name world domination summit doesn't actually mean anything to anyone but you know, what really meant something to most people were the values. Um, so when we created PodConf, I was like, I, I want to copy that because I want, you know, whatever our name is going to be is kind of irrelevant, but I want, you know, however we program this, the agenda to be through the lens of what our values are. So unfortunately, I'm not sure if learning um, directly is one of our values, but our main values is, um inspiration participation and connection those are our three values and you know i think what i i would really hope people come away from it it's just first just to get inspired and that's we're trying to 
line up three keynote speakers just to tell their inspiring stories because you know um as you know you've been podcasting for a long time um you know from the beginner to the seasoned podcasters i think we're all kind of seeking inspiration mm -hmm. from you know those uh, ahead of us and those behind us and all that so we just want you know hopefully everyone just comes away inspired and um you know i think stemming from my experiences with some of these other uh conference podcast conferences where it's a lot of like let's just sit around and watch the speaker <laughs> you know they're kind of a little boring you know yeah. so we wanted it to be highly participatory where you know a lot of attendees are sometimes some of the most interesting people in the room so we're like mm -hmm. why don't we give them an opportunity to lead lead circles that's something else we kind of uh, borrowed from WDS. They have, you know, a lot of these like informal uh, attendee meetups that they do. So we're kind of helping curate that. Like, you know, a lot of times attendees are some subject matter expert of something or and even podcasting. So they'd be great. Uh, they'd be great leaders of little circles. So participation is a pretty big one. And obviously, as um, you know, even in my journey, as a podcaster now it's like you know speaking into mic is sometimes pretty lonely you know it's like <laughs> right. you know a lot of times it's us you know sitting in a room by ourselves and just kind of talking speaking out into the void and we're like uh you know every time i go to these conferences it's um it's like very clear that the number one thing people enjoy is meeting other podcasters hearing their journeys being inspired by the other people so you know we think connection is going to be you know pretty big like we could probably just sit back and not do anything and just like let people hang out for eight hours and that'd be a great event <laughs> so um yeah that's uh but i'm sure there's going to be some learning in there <laughs> how have people responded to it so far as as the word is getting out there and people are discovering it so far good i think um it's scary like uh, you know i've been an entrepreneur i built startups before and like i'd have to say event production is pretty up there in terms of scary level <laughs> for the organizer. Uh, you know, they often, you know, give this analogy to startups, but I think it's just as relevant uh, to events. It's like, it's like building a plane when it's flying. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you're just kind of putting the pieces together while the promise is already made, which is just, it's it's something yeah i think it's something pretty new to me and I'm, I'm still kind of getting used to it um you know one of the first things i did was like i you know called three or four other event organizers just to kind of pick their brain i'm like how does this work like is this normal what i'm going through you know I, you know I, I really believe in like learning from other people yeah. and the literally every single one of them was like 90 percent of the people will sign up in the last week <laughs> <laughs> and you know i've heard that before but i just didn't really believe it but when they were you know kind of talking about their journeys like yeah this is going to happen every single uh, event they do you know this happens and i'm like ooh, you know that's that's tough uh for an event promoter because you have to uh or for, for event pr producer because you have to sort of prepare for who's going to come how many people are going to come and you have to tell the speakers how many people are going to come and all that stuff so it's just tough but um so i say we're doing good so far because if if that math is really true you know we, we have a good amount of people already signed up and we're going to keep you know trying to get people to sign up 
before that last week because that's just too nerve-wracking for me um so so far the the response has been good uh it's like a little over two months away so i think we're right at that sweet spot where we're going to start marketing a little bit more yeah we we have our first speaker booked um really excited to have him we have some sponsors even from the podcast industry nice yeah a lot of my favorite tools uh hopefully yeah yeah, they're, they're, they're supporting us and hopefully they'll be there and uh, be there as a resource. Um, and that's, you know, one of the other things we're doing differently is like, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, conference I've been to kind of feels like a little bit of a commercial <laughs> for some of these big brands. And like, even, you know, for, for us, I just thought, you know, you know, a sponsor will never take the main stage. That's just reserved for a, a, a real podcaster. And in fact, like, I'm going to, take my own medicine i have a you know uh you know pot inbox is a podcast tool too but i'm i'm probably you you, pro you might not even hear about it <laughs> in the conference because i want to play by those rules where you know we really just make this attendee focused and it's podcaster focused um and people have i think it's that message is resounding well that you know people know that you know we're kind of doing this as a labor of love and they want to support it and they want to participate so um so far so good but yeah you never know <laughs> exactly well pat i've thoroughly enjoyed our time together today it's just kind of screamed by if you were to sum up some wisdom for listeners to take away what would you encourage them with wow um i'd say maybe what we talked about in the very beginning is a tinker um you know, I have that sort of self-professed label on my personal website, and I've always liked to tinker. And I think so many good things come from tinkering. And um, yeah, I think, you know, I'd say, yeah, don't, you know, a lot of people think, uh, you know, if I do this, what's in it for me? But like my, how I frame things when I'm tinkering is always like, you know, everything I do in life all the little projects are just so additive that I just kind of place sort of intrinsic value on uh, every project I'm working on. It's like, even if it quote unquote fails, like I don't even think of, I don't even think of projects as failing. I'm just like, Oh, that added to my life somehow. Maybe it didn't add to my pocketbook or, or anything, but that added to my life. That's just another thing that I did that I could speak to that I can enjoy and i just kind of encapsulate that in the world of um tinkering <laughs> that's how i account for it and that's what i encourage everybody to do that's awesome well final question for you you strike me as someone who's either got a book going or a podcast going what's blowing your mind right now oh man this is tough it's like sharing someone's playlist it's um <laughs> <laughs> right now Wow, I don't, I'm oddly, usually I'm reading a book, but I'll give you a podcast I'm listening to that I really enjoy. And hopefully this doesn't put me in a bad light. Um, is I love My First Million. Okay. <laughs> and I say that's just such a horrible, they, they even admit that's like a horrible <laughs> title for a name. It sounds like a couple of tech dudes, and, and they sort of are. They, they, they are a couple of tech bros, but uh, just the way they get along. Um, uh, their personalities. I think something, something about that I really enjoy. And being a podcast growth hack, you know, I've been kind of following their journey and their their sort of 
rising in the charts really quick. So just trying to study what they're doing, um, trying to understand like what it is, what is it they're doing that people love. So I've been kind of fascinated with that um, podcast. Book, I think being a Portlander, um, I mean, I love Shoe Dog. I read it. I didn't just read it, so I can't say that. But I'm thinking of reading it again because um, this movie called Air is coming out. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah. Um, it's a story of um, how uh, Nike created uh, the brand Air. Um, so um, kind of disappointed they didn't make Shoe Dog because I love that book so much. But um, might read it again just to get a refresher on, on the history of uh, Nike and all that. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Pat. And if you live in the Portland, Oregon area and are interested in podcasting or been like me and been at it for a while, consider attending and contributing to PodConf. As Pat mentioned, it's going to happen in about two months time on April 29th. I personally have gotten my ticket and I'm going to be contributing to attendee-led circles. I'm going to be talking about how to keep the creative juices flowing year after year. If you're interested, I have the link in the show notes page. You can find ticket prices. The early bird is very affordable. And I hope to see you there. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.